there's not a lot of commitment to family anymore. Uh, and uh, that, that's a problem. I, I, I shared a picture this morning uh, of my family. Uh, that's not them, but uh, there they are. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, 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 that I know who they are. Like we were talking about yesterday, you know, I, I know who's in my family. Uh, I know who ought to be in my home and, and who, you know, is either there, as, a, as James said, as a guest or an intruder. Uh, we, we share a, a unique relationship together. My wife and I have been married uh, for a little over 30 years. And uh, my son is 25 years old. My daughter's 22 years old. And uh, in those years, uh, we you know we've been through a lot of different things together, right? Uh, we, we, we all are very unique in our personalities. My children are, are, are vastly different. Neither of my children have ever made a B. One on one side and the other on the other, right? Uh, we'll, we'll leave that to your imagination, which one's which. Uh, for those of you who know them, it'll be obvious. Um, but they're, they're very different. Uh, one is very athletic, and, and one is not, uh, you know, but we, we value them, uh, we love them, uh, they have different preferences, but you know what, we, we accommodate those preferences, and, and we live together, and we function together, we care for one another, we love one another, uh, we, we have difficulties, we have trials, we, we mess up, uh, we, we uh, say things we shouldn't say, and we do things we shouldn't do, but you know what, we're still family. And we still love each other, and we still care for each other, and we still provide for one another, and uh, we, we, don't, we don't write anybody off. We, we don't throw anybody away. You know, something I've, I've said a lot lately, uh, relationships are not disposable. People are not disposable. Uh, I think sometimes in church we have a tendency to, to forget that we're family. And uh, sometimes you have a tendency to, to use people up and then throw them away. And, and we'll just go get someone else. And, and, and it shouldn't be that way. You know, we, we are the family of God. And uh, we have a very unique relationship with each other. My son, he's going to give it all away, is the more athletic one in our family. And, and he coaches uh, high school basketball and high school football. And a few years ago, they, uh, you may not be able to see it from the picture, uh, that maybe you can sit on the back of their jerseys rather than rather than having the, the, their, the their name the individual's names on the back of the jersey they they just put family uh on the jersey and uh what what, what do you think they were trying to achieve with that ah, unity uh, we're, we're we're not individuals we we have to cooperate with one another we have to work together it's not uh, the, the team uh, the the family is, is bigger than any one of us individually. Uh, it's not about my preferences. I, I have my particular uh, skills and talents and abilities, but, but I can't do it alone. I need, I need my teammates. Uh, we need to love one another. We need to care for one another. Uh, in the South, we, we really like, we really like uh, college football. Uh, I mean, because it's the home of the SEC, and that is the greatest conference in the world. Uh, Hey, 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 guys, we're family. <laughs> we're family, so don't let anything divide us. I mean, the fact that Ohio State stole our quarterback doesn't bother me at all. We're glad to share. Even if they beat Michigan this year. <laughs> Just trying to see if we get Brett involved in the conversation. I'm going to pause to take a drink of water and see if... 
Time will bring him in. Um, I, I was watching the ball game on the way up here, Georgia. I'm a Georgia fan, although I live in Alabama. Pray for me. Uh, and our quarterback after the game, you know, he, they, they were interviewing him, and, and he made the statement, you know, we don't, we don't play for the name on the back of the jersey. We, we pay for the team on the front of the jersey. And uh, We hear that kind of thing all the time, right? Uh, we're, we're to unite together, and we're to come together, and we want to be a family. Well, th- there's no other place that we ought to be more family than, than in the family of God, right? Uh, we ought to have that kind of uh, a relationship with one another where we, we do f- lay down our preferences and our desires, and we do forget about ourselves, and we do recognize uh, that collectively we're better than we are individually. In fact, uh, we're really of no benefit, as James shared yesterday. You separate a member from the body, and, and what happens is that it dies. Uh, the body suffers, but the member dies. Uh, and, and so we don't need to, to be dividing and separating. So we're going to talk today about that. And, and the ideal here, with, with when we, uh, we, we talk about we're the bride, it's, it's worship. When we talk about it's the body, it's membership. We're going to talk about today, it's the family, and that's relationship. Uh, we have relationships with one another. And if you're, if you're paying attention, and uh, maybe you're a member of First Baptist, or maybe you're watching and you're a member uh, of another church somewhere, man, these are... These are great things by which to, to recognize the value of the, the church that you're connected to, right? The, this is what you ought to be receiving. This is what you ought to be providing. And, and I love what Jeff said last night. Yeah, it's, uh, it's all of us. It's every one of us. Uh, it's not the pastors. It's, it's us together. You know, when you look at that picture with my family, we're all part of that. Uh, and it takes all of us together uh, to be able to be a family unit. And, and the same thing's true in the body of Christ. And so we're going to start out really simple. Uh, if I can do anything well, I can state the obvious, so I'm going to do that. Uh, so we're called to be, and I had we were called to be children. I think I actually changed my slide after Pastor Mark's sermon last night to say, son. <laughs> I'm not a child of God, I'm a son of God. <laughs> Get that right. Uh, appreciate, you know, appreciate the, the, the uh, I, I, and I mean this in all sincerity, uh, I appreciate Pastor Mark and, and not only his great ability to communicate, <laughs> And he does have a great ability to do that. Uh, but he also has a great ability to be a good friend uh, to pastors in the ministry. I, I've been through some tough times, and uh, he's always been there and been a great friend to me. And I appreciate him for that very, very much. Uh, so most of us, I'm sure, uh, in, in Living Faith Churches have been a part of uh, whatever you call it, Discipleship One or Personal Discipleship, that first level of discipleship. And, and that's where we start. Uh, talking about what family are we in, and, and what we understand from our discipleship process is there's only two families in the world, and you're in one or the other, uh, right? Yeah, yeah right. Uh, you've, been th- you've been through that, right? And so John, uh, Jesus is talking to the r- religious leaders of his day in the Gospel of John chapter 8, and uh, he's having this conversation, and, and he says to them, verse 38, and you might want to look there, I don't think I put all of that up there, just that, that one verse, because I'm lazy. Uh, verse 38 says, And I speak that which I have seen of my father, and you do that which you have seen of your father. And he answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to him, Abraham, uh, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, uh, which I have heard of God, which uh, this did not Abraham. And so he's saying, you know, hey, they're claiming this physical lineage. And Jesus says, You're, you're not Abraham's children. Uh, you do the deeds of your father. And they said unto him, We may not born of fornication. We have one Father, even God. And Jesus 
saith unto them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my words? And he says, You're of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. And when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And so Jesus is, is confronting these religious leaders, and he's confronting them on this issue of, and, and listen, we, we may say that's, man, that's so elementary. These guys were the scholars of the day, right? These guys were the guys who had all the answers. There, there was no deep truth that you could get past these guys. Uh, they understood it all, uh, but, but they'd missed the simple principle that it's important what family you're in. Uh, what, who is your father? Uh, and and the, 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 the point is, we were, as Pastor Mark shared so well last night, we, we were born into Satan's family. We were born sinners. We were born in the likeness and the image of Adam, uh, not in the likeness in the image of God. We saw that last night in, in Genesis chapter 5, uh, that when Seth was born, he was born in the image and the likeness of Adam, not in the image and the likeness of God. He was born separated from God. He was born not in God's family, but in Satan's family. And he passed that down to all of us. Romans 5.12, one man, by one man, sin in the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men. And so we're born physically into to Satan's family. And again, very simple truth, but when we trust Christ as our Savior, when we're born again, we enter into God's family, and God is our Father. Uh, and, and that's a wonderful truth. Uh, we are born as Nicodemus when Jesus shows up, and uh, he is... Nicodemus has the questions for, for Jesus, and uh, Jesus tells him that strange thing. That, that Again, he could have dealt with any in-depth subject. Uh, he could have talked about anything out of the Old Testament. Nicodemus probably would have had the, the text memorized. Uh, but he, he, he gave him this off-the-wall comment. You must be born again. And Nicodemus said, I don't, what, I don't get it. I don't understand that. That doesn't make sense to me. Jesus says, you've you got to be born of water and of the Spirit. You've you got to have a second birth. You've got to be born not just physically, but you must be born spiritually uh, if you're going to see the kingdom of, of God. And, and so we understand if we're going to be in God's family, we have to have experienced that spiritual birth. And again, uh, not to, to repeat what we heard last night, but first, or John chapter 1, verse 12, as many as received him, he, he, died, he died for all, right? Uh, but, but it requires that we receive him. Uh, that he came into his own, his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Uh, and we, we talked about that last, which were born not, not of blood, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of the will of God. It's a spiritual birth, and when we're born spiritually, we're, we enter into God's family, and, and that's an incredible, uh, again, privileged position to be a child of God. Amen? Uh, what an awesome privilege that is. I, I am a child of God, and God deals with me no longer as a sinner, but he deals with me as his son. Uh, and, and I'm grateful for that today. Uh, and that's why First uh, John, uh, he says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. I mean, he's blown away by the privilege of being called a son of God. What manner of love? He's, what kind of love did this take? Uh, what measure of love... Uh, did it take that I would have this incredible privilege to be, to, to be called a, a son of God? And just like, again, Pastor Mark said last night, it, uh, for 4,000 years nobody had that. Abraham, he, he was a friend of God, and that's, that's an awesome thing, right? 
but he wasn't a son of God. That, that's an awesomer thing, right? To be a, a son of God, to, that privileged position. Moses, you know, he, he, he got to meet with God, and he got to, to talk to him face to face. And, and that's an awesome thing, but, but Moses wasn't a son of God. We're, we're sons of God. David was a man after God's own heart. But he wasn't a son of God. Uh, and, and so we, we have this incredible position. Uh, we have this awesome identity. And I do think that if we're going to be all that we ought to be, we, we must really understand that. Uh, we must really know who we are in Jesus Christ, that we are the, the sons of God. Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, that, that they would get that, uh, that they would be able to understand that. And, and he prays for them multiple times. With a, the one I'm going to look at is in Ephesians chapter 1. I think it's on the screen. He said, then, uh, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul's, he's praying. He's praying for the church at Ephesus. He writes this and sends it to him. Uh, the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Uh, it's not something that, that we grasp intellectually. Uh, it's not something that we're just going to uh, get because we, we, we tried to get it. We're going to get it because God reveals it to us. It's the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. It, it, again, it's a spiritually discerned thing. It's, it's revealed by God. Uh, it, it's revealed through the word of God. And Paul's asking God to show them that they would know what is the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What does it mean? Uh, to have this calling as a, a child of God, a son of God. What does it mean, the riches of the inheritance that we have? I'm an, I'm an heir of God and a joint heir of Jesus Christ. What an awesome, privileged position we have. I, I shared this with our church not long ago, and, and, I, and I think if we were on the Oprah Winfrey show and I just told us all we want a car, we'd, be, we'd go through the roof, man, wouldn't we? We'd be so excited. Oh, man, a new car! And somebody says, you're an heir of God. And we go, oh, well, okay. That's nice. And I, not necessarily that it invoke a response, but I wonder if we really connect with it. I wonder if we don't need to be praying that prayer that Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus for ourselves. That we could understand, that we could comprehend who we are as the children of God. And, and what it means to be an heir of God and, and a, a joint heir of Jesus Christ. He says, that, and, and, and he says, we know the, the exceeding, and, and Pastor Mark shared this last night far better than I can share, the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, the, the power to, to be a, a child of God. But he goes on to say it's the power that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The power of the resurrected Christ lives in me. <laughs> That's incredible. That's an awesome thing, and I, I think it's so important that we come to realize that, and, and not only to realize that we have that power, but, but as we heard last night, why we have that power is to reach the world with the gospel, but, but understanding and appreciating the, the power that is in us is what gives us the security and the confidence to go and be who we ought to be, and do what we ought to do. I think, you know, I, I used to think that People who, who didn't serve others. I, I thought those were the secure people. I, I thought those were the people who had it together, you know, and they just, they just got it so together. They don't really, 
you know, they don't really need to serve anybody, and they're just, they got their, they got their act together. And, and they're, just, they're just better than the rest of us. <laughs> but, I, but I've come to realize that they, they probably are the more insecure ones. And, and the ones who know who they are, man, I, I, got, I got no problem. If I know who I am, when I'm secure in who I am, I got no problem serving you. It's when I'm insecure <laughs> that I can't serve you. I love the story in John 13 where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And, and, and there's a ton of stuff going on there that we're not going to talk about. We don't have time to talk about. But I, I love that story. The disciples, you know, they come into the room. It's, it's the custom to wash the feet. There's no servant there to wash the feet. And, and you can count on it, man. Those guys, none of them are washing anybody else's feet, right? Uh, because we're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And the greatest sure ain't washing anybody else's feet. But then the greatest in the room girds himself with a towel and gets a basin and starts washing feet. And, and, and what, I, what I love about the story is how that's prefaced. In, in verse number 3, Jesus, John chapter 13, verse 3, I don't know if I put that on the screen or not. Jesus knowing, he knew who he was. He, he was confident in who he is. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, he understood that he was an heir of God, that everything that God had belonged to him, and, and that serving somebody else didn't diminish that one bit. He, he knew that God had given all, and, and he knew that he came from God and then he went to God. He was absolutely secure in who he is, and therefore he was able to serve those around him. I think if we'll, if we'll understand who we are, that I'm a child of God and nothing can change that. I'm a, an heir of God and a joint heir of Jesus Christ, that, that he's given all things into my hands. I'm seated with him in heavenly places, knowing who I am in Jesus Christ. Gives me the confidence to be who I, who I ought to be toward all of you, all of us, the, 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 the family of God. So we're, we're, we're sons of God, and, and that identity is what enables us to, to be who we ought to be for one another. And, and who we ought to be for one another, uh, obviously, is brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know sometimes, you know, people like to make fun of us in the South. Not about our football, uh, but about uh, the way we talk to each other, right? So you go to a Southern church. We don't know anybody's name. Uh, that's not just kidding. We do know names, but but everybody's brother and everybody's sister, right? That's, that's brother so and so, and that's sister such and such, right? And and I I, I agree. It sounds a little goofy, uh, and it you know sometimes can feel a little uncomfortable, but it's, it it is the truth. That's who we are. Uh, if if we have a common father, then we're brothers and sisters, uh, and and that's the relationship that we enjoy with one another. We and we ought to treat one another in that way. Uh, just, just real quick, we'll come back to this later, but Paul says, rebuke not an elder, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, uh, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brothers, and the, younger, or the elder women as mothers, and the younger as sisters. And he says, with all purity, keep, keep that relationship right, keep, keep that relationship pure. Uh, treat one another uh, as, as family. Uh, don't, don't rebuke an elder, don't rebuke a father. Uh, but entreat him 
uh, have a, a, a relationship of, of submission and humility uh, with him. And, and the young men as brethren, and the elder women as mothers, and, and the younger as sisters. We, we are the family of God. And, and, and it's certainly true. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, and he talks about the, the whole family of God in heaven and earth. And so this is a vast family. And we talked about yesterday that, that there's this concept of the, the universal church. And, and certainly, uh, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. I've had the privilege to, to travel to a lot of places in this world. And, uh, and man, one of the, my, my favorite things about doing that is, is going there and meeting brothers and sisters in Christ, coming here uh, and, and gathering together with brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and certainly we have this kindred spirit, uh, and, and the same spirit of God lives within us, and we have this fellowship around who we are in Jesus Christ, and it's true across cultural barriers, and it's true across relation, uh, r- uh, racial barriers, and uh, it's, it's true... Uh, in all of us as, as the whole family of God. And so there is this vast family that, that stretches from the, the resurrection to the rapture. Uh, that's certainly true. Uh, but, but Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, we, while we have this huge extended family, we're also part of a household of God. Uh, and that's a local church. My, my family is larger than the four people you saw on the screen a few minutes ago. Right. There are more McKegs in the world uh, than, than, than just those four. There's, there's a broader family. But, but if Drew and Lauren want the benefits of being a part of the family, well, they need to come to the local household. They, they need to get connected to a local household uh, for, for the connection to the family. And the same is true for us. We have this connection to this local body of believers. And it's, uh, it's an important connection. Uh, it is an important relationship. It's a covenant relationship. Have you ever, you ever heard or maybe used the, the phrase, blood is thicker than water? And what we usually mean by that, or what I, maybe I shouldn't say what you usually mean, I should say what I usually mean. Uh, when, when I've used that phrase, I've, I've used it like this. Those four people you saw on the screen a few minutes ago, well, my relationship with them is more important than the relationship I have with other people. That, that's kind of the way that I've used it in all of my life. But uh, when I was uh, researching this earlier, I, I found that really that's, that's, not the full, that's not the full quote. Blood is thicker than water. The, the full quote goes like this. The blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. Well, that's a whole different perspective. <laughs> We had that thing totally backwards, <laughs> right? We, we had that thing completely upside down. Uh, we, we were saying that, that my, my blood relative is, is more important. That relationship is more important than the person I'm in a covenant relationship with. Well, actually, we, we've been using that wrong. The quote is, those that I'm in a covenant relationship with, the, the people that, that I've joined in covenant with, that relationship is of more value than the, the water of the womb that I, I shared with a brother. My, my physical relationships, my physical brothers and sisters, the relationship with my spiritual brothers and sisters that I have a covenant relationship with. And, and, and I believe we have that. I think that's, that's what we have when we unite. As James talked yesterday about membership, uh, it's, a, it's a bigger thing than, than just... Uh, uh, 
attending, right? I think that's the word you used. Uh, attend or, or, or join and uh, unify with. Uh, when we unify together, we unify together in a, in a covenant relationship with one another. And, and we ought to treat each other like that. Uh, and, and so when you, when you understand that, that you, then it kind of makes sense what Jesus said, right? Uh, you remember in Matthew chapter 12, they... Uh, Jesus is, is talking to the people, and they, they say, you know, hey, your, your mother and your brother, and they, they, they're standing without desiring to speak with you. And he said to them, behold, uh, thy mother and brother, they stand without speak with thee. Verse 48, uh, but he answered and said unto them, who is my mother? And who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my father which is in heaven, the same is my, my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus said, these are the people, this is the relationship that's important to me. It's not this physical relationship. And and, and listen, I'm not discounting the the value of our physical relationships and and our physical families. uh, But but I I do think Jesus said, I think I recall hearing him say somewhere, uh, that that if you love them more than you love me, you can't be my disciple. Uh, And sometimes that's a little confusing for us, and we, we, we may struggle with that a little bit, but but the truth be known, if he is preeminent in my life, if that's the most important relationship, then, then those others will fall in line, right? Uh, they, they'll work out. So we're, we're the family of God, and God is our Father, and, and we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and certainly that's true in this room. If we're any born-again believer is, is my brother or sister in Christ, but, but I also have this local household. It, Galatians chapter 6, he says, do, do good unto all men. Man, be good to everybody but especially under those of the household of faith, especially those in the family. You know, I, I can get concerned about your need in your life, uh, but, but I'm going to be ultimately concerned about those in, in my family, and, and we ought to have that kind of relationship within the church uh, because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. So we are, we are the family of God. We're, we're, we're the sons of God, and it's a, an incredibly privileged position, and we enjoy this relationship with one another. So that's who, who we're called to be. Now, now, what are we called to do? And the, 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 the reason this works out this way in, in, in my head, uh, and I'll explain it to you a little bit, is Pastor Mark sharing these seven uh, values that we were hearing on uh, in the evening sessions, which is incredibly awesome. Uh, we, there's, there's lots of different ways that we break down, you know, what the church is responsible to do, and I, I, you could phrase it all kinds of different ways. Uh, for a lot of years, we, we phrased it with five E's. We're to, we're to evangelize, and we're to encourage, and we're to edify, and we're to equip, and we're to exalt. Uh, There's all kinds of different ways we can say that, but it's really saying the same thing different ways. And so when I, when I think about what the church is to do, I think of it in that context of those five E's. And so yesterday, we were talking about exalting, and, uh, and, and then uh, today, we're talking about encouraging. We're to encourage one another. That's what we're to do is the family of God. Uh, we're to be an encouragement to one another. And so when you study the scriptures, and you'll see them listed there in your notes, we won't go through all of them uh, for the sake of time, uh, but uh, there's, there's all of these one another commands in the New Testament. Uh, and and they are commands. Uh, they're not suggestions, right? They're not just good ideas. Uh, they're commands. <laughs> and they're commands of how we are to interact with one another. Uh, that's the reason he said it that way, right? Uh, and so we're to do all of these things to one another. And so we, they're, they're broken down there in kind of three categories. And we're going to look at a few of them. We won't look at all of them again uh, for the sake of time. But uh, let's, let's think about some of them. And 
the, the overarching, the first overarching one is that we're to, we're to love one another. Uh, you know, the, the church ought to be the place. It ought to be the place that, uh, where, where we know we can come to and find love. Now, the harsh reality is that's not the case. I, I remember years ago, there was a family in our church, and I won't mention what church and when it was. And, uh, there was a family in our church that was going through a situation that was horrific. I, I, I can't even fathom what they were going through. The most awful situation and circumstances of their life. And, and, and one of the members of the family called me. It was, during a holiday season, uh, our uh, offices weren't even opened, and uh, and this person says to me on the on the other end of the line, "I I really need to talk to you. Uh, we've we've had this incident happen in our family, and uh, I need somebody to talk to." And when they came and they met with me, here here's the first thing they said: "This is the last place I wanted to come." I didn't want anyone here to know. It was bad. It was shameful. It was embarrassing. But this person came and said, this is the last place I wanted to come. This broke my heart. (laughs) This shouldn't be the last place you wanted to come. This should be the first place you wanted to come. This should have been the place that you knew you could come to and find love and acceptance and, and help and encouragement. Not, not that we're condoning any kind of sin or justifying any kind of sin, but, but we ought to be there for one another because guess what? We all sin. <laughs> we're sinners. And, and as much as we might think so, we're no better than anybody else. It ought to be the place that people could come to and find love and acceptance. But, but again, the harsh reality is oftentimes that's not the case. Uh, oftentimes people don't want to come here when they, when they blow it in life or when life happens to them. And, and, and by the way, the person who said that to me had no sin of their own. It was someone else in their family uh, that, that had done these things. And they just didn't want anybody to know because... They felt like if they came to the church, well, then everybody will know. Nobody can keep any kind of confidentiality. uh, And and I'm not going to get love and acceptance. I'm going to get judgment and rejection. It shouldn't be that way. Uh, We're commanded to to love one another. Uh, Let's just look at a couple of them. Uh, You know, when we we talk about loving one another, Romans chapter 12 comes to mind. Uh, I think those verses are on the screen. Verses 9 and 10 says, Let love be without dissimulation. No hypocrisy in our love, uh, but it, let, it be, let it be genuine. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. And again, so love doesn't mean that we, we accept sin, we accept wrong, and we justify wrong behavior. That's, that's not what he's saying at all, right? Uh, that's not the point that he's making. We're, we're to love one another, but, but hate evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. When... Yeah, we, we talked yesterday about Romans chapter 12 and we're talking about being the bride of Christ and 
and as a bride, uh, the bride submits herself to her husband, and we're to give ourselves as a, a living sacrifice to Christ. And, and a lot of times we quote Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, right? And we'll, we'll talk about that, and, uh, uh, but we never read the rest of the chapter. Or maybe, maybe we do, but we don't recognize that what he's doing in the rest of the chapter is describing what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. And as he walks down through that, he, he starts talking about these gifts, these spiritual gifts. And James mentioned those yesterday. I'll talk about them some again tomorrow. Uh, and, and they're all to be used in the context of a local New Testament church. It's a supernatural enablement that I've been given by God, the Holy Spirit of God, residing within me, part and parcel with being a son of God, as we heard last night, is the Spirit of God resides within us. And, and when he resides within us, we get this supernatural enablement uh, and and then, and then he goes into immediately, verse number 9, let, let love be without dissimulation. Be kindly affectionate one another in brotherly love and honor preferring one another. We, if I'm submissive to Christ, right, and I'm living in that relationship with him, then it impacts how I live with you. Right? you, you we can't. I actually put this in here. We'll look at it again. But 1 John 4.20, if a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. I wouldn't say that about you. But God seems to feel like he's okay with talking about us like that. And again, we hear it all the time. Oh, I love God. Oh, I love him. I just hate the church. Well, God said you're a liar. <laughs> I didn't say you were. <laughs> I wouldn't talk about you like that. But God did. It's not a possibility. It's, it's, it's an impossibility, right, for, for us to say we love God, to say that I'm submissive to Christ, that I've given myself as a living sacrifice to the Lord Jesus Christ, but I, I, I don't love my brother. That, that's not possible. And, and, you know, that's not hard for us to understand if we really, if we really think about it. You know, I, my children need to love one another, and, and they can't be wrong with each other and be right with me. Right? I'm going to get involved in that, even my adult children. You know, you, you guys need to, to make this right with each other. And one of the things that, that blesses me most, when we, uh, we just relocated earlier this year uh, from Cartersville over to uh, De Decatur, Alabama, and our children being uh, in their 20s, uh, and both of them at the time when we moved were in college, they decided to stay in, in Cartersville, uh, and they, they live together, <laughs> and, and they get along. Uh, and you know, there's probably nothing for me as a father that blesses me more than to see my children loving and caring for one another and cooperating together and getting along. They are vastly different. Remember, they're the kids that neither of them's ever made a B. <laughs> but on opposite sides. But they still get along. You know, and they cooperate together. I, you know, there, there's reasons for that, and, and maybe they're not... Not the best reason, but not the worst ones either. You know, I tell my son all the time, you get along with your sister because, you know, you can't survive without her. Right? You'll never make it. <laughs> You'll never make it. But that's okay. That's okay. As long as you're, you're motivated to get along. Cooperate with one another. It blesses me as a father. And, you know, i got to believe that it blesses. I, I know it blesses me as a pastor. And, and I think that's the role uh, in, in the family and in a local body of pastors. He's like a father. He's an elder. Uh, and we're like a father. And man, when I see the body, uh, the, the family, 
getting along and we're cooperating with one another and we're unified. That blesses me. And I think that's true with our Heavenly Father too, right? Yeah, he's blessed when we're willing to, to work and cooperate together and get along together. We're, we're to love one another. And uh, so, so there's lots of ways that that, that love plays out. Uh, he, you know, and, and, and they're not complex. Uh, they're very simple. Simple to understand. They're not easy, but they're simple, right? He just, he just says, be kind one to another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. And again, man, I, listen. It's simple stuff. But here's where we blow it. Here's the problem in the church. Is it just me? Or, or does anybody else recognize that Christians can be the meanest people on earth? <laughs> hey, just be kind. <laughs> just be kind to each other. <laughs> just, just be tenderhearted. You know, when you, when, you, when you see someone overtaken in a fault, <laughs> restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Considering yourself. <laughs> you know, sometimes it seems like we get to the place that we think we're above it all. We, we get to the place that we think, oh, well, that could never happen to me. Well, when you think you stand, take heed, lest you fall. When you think you got it all together, that's probably evidence that you don't have it all together. Forgive one another. Let's just, let's just take a minute and think about that. I think we really struggle with it. Just uh, maybe it's my personal thing right now, but man, I just see so much of an unwillingness to forgive. And, and and I hear it even. I hear people talk about it. They, they put stipulations on their willingness to forgive somebody. Could we grow up? Come on. Uh, forgiveness is, is not something that, that people earn. Do we, do we appreciate that? You can never earn forgiveness. If we forgive, it's because we choose to forgive. You know, well, well, they didn't ask me to forgive them. So what? Well, they didn't say the right words. Really? I don't think they mean it. Who cares? Just forgive them. Just choose to forgive. And, I, you know, and a lot of times I think we say, you know, and we, we kind of go through that thing, you know. It's, it's funny. It's really funny. We, we don't even say, I'm sorry anymore. We just say sorry, <laughs> right? I don't leave myself out of this. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Come on. And, and listen, this is true in the family of God, and it's true in the, in the family. Just why are our families so messed up? We, we can't forgive. So I use this in, in marriage counseling, and I, I think it's true. When we forgive, we choose to forgive, and, and we're making a choice to, to no longer 
seek. I'm not going to hold this against you in the future. I'm going to let it go. I'm going I'm to write off that debt. And I'm not going to talk about it anymore. And I'm not going to think about it anymore. And a lot of times we say, you know, I, oh, well, yeah, that's Joe. And, I, and I've had people tell me this on more than one occasion about more than one thing. You're crazy. And that's probably true. But it's also true that you can control what you think about. I think I have a book that said that, right? That you bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, that you can renew your mind, that you can change what you think about, that you can stop dwelling on that and, and, and rehearsing that situation over and over in your, uh, again in our minds. When, when we fail to forgive, then we fail to function as a family, and, and what happens is we get divided and separated, and, and that's not how things should be. That's not the way that things should be. Remember, forgiveness is, is always granted, it's never earned. Trust, on the other hand, and I think this is where we get confused sometimes, trust is, is never granted, and it's always earned. I, I can forgive you and still not trust you. I, I think that's an important distinction, and I think sometimes that's where we get messed up. Uh, I can have a brother fall, and, and, and sin, maybe sin against me. And I can forgive that brother of his sin, but I'm not putting him right back in a leadership position. <laughs> That'd be foolish. And, and a lot of times we say, we, we didn't, don't, I had them say to me, oh, I thought you said you forgive me. Oh, I do, I, absolutely, I love you, and I accept you as my brother in Christ. Then why don't I get my position right back? Well, I don't trust you. Because trust is always earned never granted and it takes time right there's I, I can't i can't choose to trust you I, I can't you know just say okay well here here's my wallet here's my here's my credit card take it I, I trust you i can say that but you better know i'm watching the account right i'm gonna check the receipts unless i i, I know you i so be kind tender-hearted <laughs> forgiving one another that's that's kindness and, and then of course he adds the little phrase there on the end to just take away all of our excuses even as god for christ's sake hath forgiven you <laughs> there's the trump card right yeah what you got what you got that somebody did to you that's more than you did to christ he died on a cross any takers anybody want to tell their story no, no, okay. So we're to love one another, and that's being kind. And again, I, I won't go through all of these, but l let's look at a couple of them. Prefer one another. Uh, man, so much of what comes into our churches today, so much of the squabbling uh, and the bickering and the splitting is about preferences. Right? It's about what I want over what you want. It's, it's not, a, I, I don't, I. Personally, I don't know of one church split, and there, I'm sure there are some, but I don't know of any uh, that were over, over any kind of doctrinal issue. All the ones I've ever seen were over preference issues. Uh, it's always something that, that someone prefers. And, and so Romans, again, same passage there, he says, 
Be kindly affectionate one to another in brotherly love in honor preferring one another. Philippians tells us to esteem others better than ourselves. To put other people above ourselves. And, and I'm, that's always been hard because human nature is I'm going to elevate me above you. Right? Right? Me, you. Me, you. Right? You, you, you see that? You understand that? that, that that's where I'm going to put myself. That's what we all do. But man, I think it's, it's especially hard now. Because of the time we live in. Uh, Paul said in the last days, we're going to experience perilous times. Why? The first thing he says, men shall be lovers of their own selves. And we love ourselves, don't we? (laughs) I love me. I want what I want, and I want it now. I am a spoiled brat. It's so countercultural. When Jesus described... The day and time that we live, he called it Laodicea, the rights of the people. Boy, I think he was onto something. What do you think? We're, we're offended by everything and protesting everything, and, and that comes inside the church, right? We, we, we come in here with all of our preferences, and, and again, we, we attend. We, we, uh, we, we come and we sit in a pew, and we decide if we like it or not. And if we don't like it, then we're going to talk to the people around us about how we didn't like it, right? And complain about it. No, that's not the way that it's to be. We're to prefer others above ourselves. Uh, And, you know, I I think I've even had this argument made to me that, well, man, if I do that, I'm just going to become a doormat. Well, that'd be okay. Dead people really don't care if they're a doormat or not. And that's what we're called to be. But you know what? what? What kind of fellowship would we have in the local church if I was putting you above me, your preferences above mine, and you were putting my preferences above yours? What kind of fellowship would we have? If, if we lived like that, if we just followed, and again, I know this is painfully simple, but I, I still think it's where... In, in Laodicea, in the 21st century church, we're missing it, man. Yeah, why, why is it? Why is it that the world is out there? And, and listen, just like my son's basketball team, th- they recognize that they need family. They need that unity. They need that place of belonging. They need to come together like that. They, I, I think it's innate within human beings that we, we want that. And we don't have that anywhere else in society. The nuclear family in our country is, is destroyed. It's a mess. We, we, we don't have it in, in any other place. And, and then in the church, we're living like the culture. If we'd live like the scriptures, you know, I kind of think we'd, we'd have a hard time dealing with all the people who might want to come be a part of something like that. But yet, we live too much like the culture. 1 Timothy, we read it a moment ago, he, he, he talks about how they're, we're to interact. But down in verse number 21 of the same chapter, 1 Timothy 5.21, he says, I, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. Man, <laughs> this is about to get serious, right? This is a serious charge. That thou observe these things without preferring one, another, uh, preferring one before another doing nothing but partiality. And, and so he's, he's saying not, not treating people with partiality. And, and, and the context, if you went back up, is in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, is 
don't rebuke an elder, but treat, and treat him as a father, and younger men as brethren, and, and, elder, and his, uh, elder women as mothers, and, and younger as sisters, and, and do that with all purity. It's about how that we interact with one another in a, in a family relationship. And he goes on and talks about elders and counting them worthy of double honor, and especially those that, that labor in the word and the doctrine. And, and then he talks about don't, don't receive an accusation against an elder except in the mouth of two or three witnesses. God takes that serious. And again, I'm the guy who hates to stand up here and, and, and talk like that uh, because I am an elder, uh, a pastor in a local church, but, but God's serious about how we bring accusations against an elder. And we're not lording over God's heritage, uh, but, and, and we'll give an account for how we lead, but, but church will give an account for how we treat the elders. So don't, don't keep them in poverty and, and don't receive accusations against them except in the mouth of two or three witnesses. And he goes on afterwards and he talks about not, not laying hands suddenly on any man. Who we ordain and who we bring into positions of pastoral leadership is important. And, and this charge is issued before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying, and before the elect angels. How we conduct ourselves in the family matters. And we need to conduct ourselves uh, in a biblical fashion. He, he, again, there's, there's a long list there uh, of the one another's that, that relate to loving one another. We're to, to greet one another with a holy kiss. We'll practice that as we leave today. <laughs> I've not known a lot of people who do that. The people who I've known do that, I, I notice that they have partiality. They only greet the pretty girls with a holy kiss. I don't know. <laughs> I'm questioning the holiness of the kiss. But we ought to be affectionate and, and love one another. We're to, to care for one another. Uh, we're to, to serve one another. To, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Um, to comfort and to, to have compassion, to be hospitable. So when we, when, when we talk about that, how do we measure that? How do we know if, if, if we're loving? Well, I, I think there's a few ways. And, and obviously you can go through all of those, but you know that... Are, are we willing to sacrifice? Will we sacrifice? And you know, so we said yesterday that, that I'm a living sacrifice to Christ. First uh, John tells us that in First John three sixteen, right? That that Christ. How, how do we perceive His love for us? How do we know? How, how am I sure He loved me? Well, He laid down His life for me. So how do I perceive my love for the brethren? I'll lay down my life for them. And again, I think a lot of times we, we put that at a, a grandiose scale and we say, well, you know, man, if somebody came in here this morning, I'd, I'd charge them. If they came in here with a gun and a mass shooting, I'd, I'd, I'd take a bullet for you. Well, hopefully you never get a chance to do that. If you do, okay, take it. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to stop you from jumping in front of me. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> but seriously. Uh, you know, we, we, can, we can fictitiously and theoretically say we would do that. Will you change your schedule? Will you give up your hobby? And people need to be discipled. 
People need, and that takes time, right? I mean, I, I just don't have time to do that, Pastor. I work 80 hours a week. Well, maybe you need a different job. Uh, uh, come on. I'd lay down my life for you. Oh, but <laughs> I can't give up my career. I mean, are you crazy? What kind of fanatical cult are you running here? No cult, nothing fanatical. Just biblical. Lay down your life. It's a reasonable service. But, but not only laying down your life for Christ. He says lay down your life for the brethren. For my brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, they're simple, they're simple things, but are we willing to do them? Uh, so, so sacrifice would be a part of that. We're willing to lay down our lives to, to have compassion for one another. You know, uh, he continues this in First John, just following the text there. You have this world's good, see your brother have a need, and shut up your bowels and compassion. How dwells the love of God in him? Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. I mean, are we willing to take our financial resources and, and give them away to people who are in the body of Christ? Forgiveness. Do we forgive one another? Uh, again, I read this a moment ago. I think it's good enough to read it again. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For, the love, for he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this is the command we have from him. He who loveth God loveth his brother also. Uh, we, we have to love not only God, but love the brethren. And so, in that local body of believers, that, that ought to be the place, the family ought to be the place where, where we give and receive love. We, we're terrible at relationships. Aren't we? We really are. In, in our culture, in our society, we're, we're very bad at it. I, I will say, First Baptist, you guys... You're doing, you're doing good. <laughs> I mean, this week, it's awesome. Uh, <laughs> and I mean that seriously. But, you know, we, we have all this stuff. We, we have more means of connectivity and relationships in this culture than, than at any other time in history. And we're the least connected. We have a lot of virtual friends. But most people would admit they have very few real friends. Very few real connections with people. Uh, you know, I, and again, I'll say when and where, but I've had people in my office for marriage counseling. And just, man, life is just so jacked up. Just a mess. And within three hours, see a social media post about how great their life is. That's just, <laughs> that's how we live. We, we've got this persona out here as if everything's great, when in reality it's, 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 it's a mess. With so many, I, I'm making general statements, but 
We, we need those relationships, and, and, and the g- place that God intended for us to have them was through the local church. And so do we, do we sacrifice for one another? Do we have compassion for each other? Are we willing to, to forgive one another, uh, to, to let things go? So we're to love, and, and the other general uh, section there, and you, you'll see they're just all listed together, is unity. Uh, and, and we talked yesterday about having unity, uh, and I think of necessity. There's going to be crossover as we talk about this one entity. Uh, but, but part of that is, is, is the family unit. As, as we come together as a family unit, uh, it's critical that we be unified together. And, and, and again, for a da- as a dad, and, and I think for the family as a whole, when, when, they're, when the family's unified together, then we uh, are encouraged. Uh, we have momentum uh, when we are all working together. And, and moving forward, that's an encouraging thing. Uh, when, you, when you think about unity, I, I think about the church at Corinth. Uh, you know, this church that was the most jacked up church ever, that there ever was, right, it seems. Uh, maybe not that there ever was. I think there's some today that could rival it. Uh, but uh, in, in the Bible. And, and so Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and, and you know, they've got, they've got issues with, uh, uh, certainly with incest going on in the church, and uh, and they're, they're messed up on, on family relationships, and they're, they're messed up on doctrinal issues, they're messed up on spiritual gifts, they're messed up even on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It, it is interesting to me, as messed up as they were, though, Paul refers to them as the body of Christ. You're, you're jacked up, but you're still the body of Christ, uh, as jacked up as you are. Uh, but before he deals with any of those, those issues, he deals with the issue of, of unity. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 you know, he, he says, I beseech you, brethren, and just 10 verses into the, the letter, he, he's just begun his letter, and before he addresses all of those major issues that are going on, he addresses the major issue, the first issue, uh, I beseech you, brethren, by the Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly jo- uh, joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment, and, and certainly... As he's, as he's admonishing them to be joined together, that they would come together in unity, that they would speak the same thing, that there would be no divisions among them, that they'd be perfectly joined together. They would have the same mind, the mind of Christ. It's not my mind or your mind, it's his mind. And if we have the, the mind of Christ, and this is the authority, we have the word of God, and we have the spirit of God, then it makes perfect sense that we should be unified. Right? Uh, we should be unified together around those things it's when our preferences and our desires get in the way and so uh several several things that he gives there and again for the sake of time we won't go through all of them uh but uh, he tells us that uh, we're not to, to judge one another over our liberties uh, certainly there's there's judgment there uh, and we judge uh issues and, and paul instructs the church at corinth that you ought to be able to to judge over those issues when he talks about people going to court and suing one another and going before men that we ought to be able to judge those things that's not the point he's making he said just don't don't judge people for their liberties all right people have liberty in christ don't be legalistic uh don't don't judge them over their liberties romans 14 deals with all that to to be like-minded with one another we talked about that uh, just a moment ago uh, when he when paul's writing to corinth he says like-minded one toward uh, one like-minded one toward another according to christ jesus it's the mind of Christ that breaks us like-minded uh, around the Word of God. We're not to be puffed up, and we're not to, to sue one another. Uh, you know, I've I, just recently dealing with a, a situation uh, with a couple of people in church who were sideways with each other, and, uh, and we're taking it to places that it shouldn't go, uh, you know, and, and, and sit down with them and said, man, come on, let us 
hear the case and, and decide the case. And, but, but so often what I find in church today is we're not willing to do that. We're not willing to let the church be the authority. We're not allowing the word of God to be the authority ultimately. And we'll judge it according to the word of God. And the simplest of things. And, and I just want to read this because, it, I guess, because it's so fresh to me and so frustrating to me. 1 Corinthians 6, I think it's on the screen. Uh, but brother goeth to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. He's just amazed. Uh, now, therefore, um, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. Now, catch this. Why do you not rather take, the, take wrong? Why, why, why don't you just accept the wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Why don't you just suffer the loss? Why don't you just say, forget it, I'll write it off? Why do, why do you feel like you have to defend yourself? Because we, we, we aren't submitted to Christ. And we're not allowing Him to, to take that role uh, in our lives. So let's, uh, again, there's, there's lots of stuff there. Don't attack one another, don't provoke one another, don't envy one another, forgive one another. Uh, all those things are listed there for you with the references. You can look them up later. Uh, so how do, how do we know if we're, if we're unifying together as, as a body of believers? You know, it's, again, it's just the simplest of things. Show up. I'll promise you one thing. If you don't show up for church, you're not unifying with the church. <laughs> and one time a month ain't cutting it. The modern standard of faithfulness is not God's standard of faithfulness. And again, it goes back to lay down your life for the brethren. Well, you know, we got, we got sports clubs. My kid's going to get a scholarship. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What does it profit your kid if they get a scholarship to whatever school? Maybe even Alabama. <laughs> and they don't have a relationship with Christ. You're going to be happy? Will you be satisfied with that? Uh, you know, you got to show up. We got we got to come together. We got to that that is the definition of church, right? A called out assembly. <laughs> so you got you, you got to come out of the world and assemble together uh, as believers. We we refuse to speak evil. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. How much corrupt communication? No, none. But that which is good to the use of edifying. Oh. We just figured out what corrupt communication is. Anything that's not edifying. Right? And, and sometimes, and, and again, oh man, sometimes what's good to the use of edifying is, is straightforward and strong and is truth. Right? It's, it's, it's not just that it's, you know, fluff. <laughs> corrupt communication is when I'm, I'm speaking something to tear someone down. When, I, when I'm speaking truth into someone's life, it, it may be confrontational and it may be strong, but it's, but it's intended to build up. It's more about the purpose than, than what's being said. It's like my wife tells me all the time. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. <laughs> yes, dear, I'm listening. She's watching. She, so she needs to get a plug. No, notice, good to the use of edifying may minister grace unto the hearers. So let your, your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. So even when I'm speaking truth, it's always with grace. And it's seasoned with some salt, seasoned with some truth. Right? Speak the truth in love. 
Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. We grieve God. Uh, be kind one to another. So if, if we're unified together, we're, we're refusing to speak evil, and then we're submitting to, to God-ordained authorities. Just submit to the authority. <laughs> How many problems would it solve if we just submit to authority? Uh, again, let me give my wife another plug. I know she's watching. She's good at this. She, she, she is good. You know, she, she can disagree, and, and she disagrees without being dishonoring. But, but here's what she'll say. Listen, Joe, if that's what you think we ought to do, I, I don't think it's a good idea, but I submit to you. I, I'll promise you, that stops me in my tracks. <laughs> Let's stop and think about this. Let me reconsider what I'm thinking of doing. Just submit to the authority. I, you know, I was a youth pastor for 15 years, and, and I would have kids come to me, and, 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 and they quote-unquote wanted to do something for God. Sometimes it was, it was legitimate. Sometimes they wanted to be baptized, but their mom and dad said no. And I would just tell them, just submit to your parents. You may disagree with that. Well, that's okay. You can be wrong. Uh, just kidding. Just a joke. Submit to your parents. Listen, God can take care of your parents. I've had ladies struggle with issues with their husbands that were unbelievers. Submit to your husband. God can deal with that. Just submit to the leadership in your church. Do you think God can handle it? you think God can deal with your issue if you'll just submit? Well, he's not being fair to me. Well, just submit to God and let God handle him. And God can. <laughs> Listen, I know. I've been handled. <laughs> That's why I've realized when my wife says, okay, I don't think it's right, but go ahead. Oh, no, <laughs> she just employed God in her situation. <laughs> I'm going to start listening now. We can do the same thing in church, right? Submit to the, the leaders that God puts into our lives. The, the, the last thing that the, of the, the one another's is the general thing of just training. We're, we're, to, we're to train. That's and again, we'll, we'll get more into it as we go along, but that's the responsibility of the local church. That's what God, we are the only entity that God commissioned to train his people. It's to be done through the local New Testament church. Uh, and, and again, where we get so divided and jacked up, and I, and I think it's true in the nuclear physical family, and it's true uh, certainly in our church families. You know, how many of us, you, you had your kid go off to college, and, and when they left, they were this, this wonderful uh, child of yours who valued what you valued, uh, who, who believed what you believed, and, and then four years later, they returned to you as something that was barely recognizable because somebody screwed with their mind. And I am so thankful, and, and I'm not knocking anybody or anything, don't get me wrong. But I'm so thankful my kids decided to stay home and they lived with us while they went to school. <laughs> because, man the, man, the educational system is just pouring into them so much crap. Brainwashing them. Well, the same thing's happening to our churches. <laughs> we send them off to some Bible college and they, they brainwash them to believe things that, that we would never have believed. To value things we would never have valued. And they come out of there and they don't want anything to do with us because there's so much smarter than we are they've been educated above the level of their intelligence 
Yeah, they know everything. It's, it's the church's responsibility. So, so we're to edify one another. We'll talk about that tomorrow. We'll talk about discipleship and building that building. But we're also to admonish one another. We're, we're to, to, to warn and to correct each other. Paul commended the church at Rome that they were able to admonish. They, they were at the place where they were able to warn. And, and, and that, that's more than just, when you're able to admonish, it's not just that you know enough. I don't think it's, a, it's a, an intellectual thing. It's, it's a relationship thing. And when I'm able to admonish you, then that means you're willing to listen to me. And that's because we have a relationship. I've encountered situations in life where, you know, we, we tossed people aside because they didn't do what we said. And, and, and that's not right. They should have submitted. But let's own, our, let's own our junk. And our junk is we didn't build a relationship with them so that, they, that we were able to admonish them. So they were willing to listen to us. And as a youth pastor for, for, for years, I had people who wanted me to, you know, and this is kind of an old deal thing, but you know, they wanted me to set standards. And I'm not against standards. You want to have standards in your family? Go for it, man. Yay. You ought to have some. Just don't, just don't put them on everybody else. Don't think they make you spiritual. And them carnal. <laughs> you know, the, so people, you know, the length of the, the skirt or the, the shorts or, or whatever. You know, I, I've always argued. I could tell a kid it's okay to wear shorts to your knee and, and cause them to sin based on Romans 14 if they didn't have the liberty to wear a pair of shorts. Let them have a relationship with God. But, but also, we need to have the relationship with them so that we can admonish them. I remember one time a young lady got up to sing, and, and, and man, leaving nothing to the imagination. But because of a relationship, rather than setting a standard, I could go to that individual person and say, do you believe I love you like your daddy loves you? She said, yes. What you're wearing is inappropriate. You should go change it. And she said, Okay. And went and did it. I was able to admonish because we had a relationship. We got to have relationships, right? And, and, and that goes to the whole authority thing, too, in, in going forward. Um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. If any man obey not, our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. So people are going to be obedient, disobedient to the truth. And, and he says we ought to, to, to deal with that. We, we ought to uh, note them and, and not have company with them and, and break fellowship with them that they might be ashamed, not so that we destroy them, but so that we restore them. Verse 15, yet count him not as your enemy. This is not so you treat him like an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. You're doing all of that for, for an admonition to admonish him, to warn him, to show him that his way is wrong. Uh, that's, that's, that's the point. Uh, exhort one another. Uh, obviously, uh, that's there. And then uh, how, how, how do we measure uh, that, that we're training as a church? Then I don't really have time, but uh, giving and receiving biblical instruction. Uh, we, we, Paul talked to the church at Thessalonica. Uh, he, he walks through that thing. We've talked about a lot of times in discipleship that... W- 
uh, gentle among you as a nurse cherish other children. Notice, uh, like a nursing mother, he's, he's giving you that family relationship, right? We're affectionately desirous of you. You were dear unto us. We pardoned you, not the gospel of God only, but our own souls. You're, we, we, it's a relationship. We, we're like a, a loving mother, like a nursing mother with her children. We, uh, we love and care for one another. We're, we're gentle with one another. We, we feed one another. We, we love one another. He goes on and talks about, it's like the responsibility of a father. For you remember, brother, in our labor and travail, laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable in any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. You were our witnesses, and God also, how holy and justly and blameless we behaved ourselves among you uh, that believe. Uh, as you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Uh, the church is a family, and so, so we're to uh, receive and, and give biblical uh, instruction. We're to, to give, receive and give biblical admonition. Uh, again, the church at Rome, Paul said they were able to admonish one another. Uh, Galatians 6, if you see a brother overtaken in a fault, you were a spiritual, uh, spiritual restore such one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Matthew 18 walks us through a, a process of, of restoration. Uh, we ought to be able to restore those relationships with, within the church. That's the goal. God gives us a method uh, of, of restoring relationships. And certainly we ought to be able to do that. And, and we ought to be able to hold each other accountable. I need accountability. You do too. We all need accountability. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right? Pastors, need, we, need, we need accountability. Uh, I don't like doing that job alone. I, I want other pastors around me. I want other pastors to, to know what's going on and be a part of those decisions. Uh, I, I think that's important. Uh, we need each other. We need to be accountable. Uh, and then th the last thing, and I just said, well, there's I didn't really even understand what I put in those notes myself. Uh, <laughs> let, let, me, let, me, let me back up just a second, though, and say, we, we, do, we, are, a church, we are churches that disciple uh, but discipleship is more, it's got to be more in our churches than just that one facet, right? It's not a, it's not a program of the church. Uh, it's not a ministry of the church even necessarily. It's a culture of the church, right? Discipleship needs to be a culture. So, so we have those tools in place that we use to walk through a person through a logical process. But, but it needs to be that, that there's an overall culture of we're willing to, to come under the toolage of one another. Uh, and we're willing to, to be rebuked. And we're willing to receive that rebuke. And we're willing to give that rebuke. And we're not running around like idiots, but, but like a family. We, we love and care for one another. There's people who, who could come into my life and, and say anything they wanted to say to me, and I would receive it. If James D. Coker comes to me and says something to me about the way, anything I said this morning, I'll promise you I'll hear what he has to say. It, it, it'll stop me in my tracks because we have that kind of relationship. And, and that's the kind of relationship we're to have. And so, you know, what do we avoid? Man, there's a lot we ought to avoid <laughs> uh, that's going on today. There's a lot of things that want to usurp the position of the church. I, I do think that, that, that uh, social welfare, we ought to be taking care of each other. Uh, the welfare system in this country shouldn't be taking care of the members of our church. You know, we're part of an alliance of churches over in, in northern India. Poorest people on the planet. I've been there. They got nothing. You know what they do? You know what they do regularly? They take widows and orphans into their home. People who got nothing. But they're taking, they take people off the street, and they love them, and they provide for them, and they care for them. Uh, we, we've got, we're the richest people on earth, and we don't have enough to do stuff like that. 
Uh, we need to love and care for each other. Uh, what, what Paul told Timothy, if you care not for those of your own house, you're worse than an infidel and you've denied the faith. Uh, um, you know, that's not talking about husbands taking care of the children. It's talking about children taking care of their parents. Let that marinate for a minute. Right? We're not very good at that either. We've got social systems taking care of our parents when, when we ought to be taking care of them. Uh, parachurch fellowship organizations, the, the church is the place that we find belonging. This, this ought to be the place where we get our belonging. This is the place where we ought to find our encouragement. This is the place where we ought to find our accountability. We church, we church splits. We, we, we are so quick to fragment and split off. And again, not because of any doctrinal or biblical reason. We just don't like what you're doing. Uh, or somebody decides, I need to be the leader. And so I'm going to take my little tribe and I'm going to go lead them over there. Uh, or, or, you know, or it's amazing to me, people just show up at my doorstep and they say, uh, God called me to plant a church. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Uh, what church are you out of? Oh, I, I, I don't have a church. Then I don't think God called you. And at least not a capital G. Maybe a lowercase. Maybe it's you. Maybe you called you. And, uh, and when we say that the church is an organism, not an organization, aren't, aren't organisms birthed, right? Don't, uh, isn't there this law of God where, where living things reproduce after their kind? It starts all the way back in Genesis. He repeats it over and over again that, that, the li- that living things reproduce after their kind and they have the seed within themselves. And so church planting ought to be a, a, a healthy process of development, not the result of an unhealthy division, right? And, and, and I, you know, I, I just think that we ought to be doing that uh, in a healthy way, and, and, and we're a family. And, and so the family doesn't need to be separated. It doesn't need to be fragmented. Uh, we don't need to allow those things to happen. Uh, and, and it is up to us. It is our decision to choose to just live in harmony with one another. So uh, I encourage us to do that, okay? All right. I'm sick of hearing me talk. I know you are. Let me pray for us, and we'll take a break. Father, we love you. Uh, Pray for Randy this morning. Lord, I don't know what time.